the Augustin Hosinga show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. Agostino Zynga show with I, your host Agostino Zynga, and this is episode number 674. There is 674 of the Agostino Zynga show, and I hope you are doing well wherever this live stream may find you. I hope you are doing well wherever this podcast may find you. How am I? All good, all things considered. I really cannot complain. Things have been going swimmingly for me, and I'm eager and ready to get podding with you lovely, 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 lovely people then. But I've also been wondering and thinking just the other day, right? Because I went on a bit of a run around my area, did a bit of running, did a bit of cardio, and I was flipping blown out of my ass, really tired, legs sore, thinking, why the fuck am I out here doing this flipping nonsense just so I can fit into fucking Rick Owens and wear St. Laurent jeans and Subi jeans and nice tight tops and, you know, shiny trousers and cool boots and amazing Comte de Gosso shirts and whatnot. I was thinking through all that thing in my head. And then I was also thinking in general, I was like, hey, you know what? I kind of understand now why people do this whole like accepting my body thing, right? It's like, it's kind of like a rollout people do nowadays where they do this big proclamation. They let the whole social media know I'm accepting my new body. This is who I am, bloody blah, blah, blah. I kind of get it because accepting your body for what it is exactly especially the older you get is way more easy than actually deciding to put on some flipping running shoes and run or to you know the gym is a lot easier because I'm, I'm still going to die on that hill I still think running at, you know I still think going to a gym one hour per day is far more easier than actually running one hour per day I think um if we set up as a challenge for some of these youtubers you definitely see the people in the running contingency of the group quit way ahead of time than people that go to the gym but there's something about it there, I can definitely understand where this whole acceptance comes from it's a lack of it's not really an acceptance it's more like a giving up it's like a conscious giving up you consciously give up and you're like you know what I'm not going to do this anymore I'm not going to do a single crunch I'm not going to do a single pull up a single push up a single squat I, I'm over it and then when you're over it that's when you start doing the whole body acceptance stuff you start showing your rolls showing your man boobs showing your bingo wings your love handles you start showing all these things off and saying you're accepting yourself and that you come into your power and you're living your truth and all this gobbledygook when really at the heart of it, what you've actually done is give up. That's it. What you do is that you give up. You're like, you know what? I give up. I'm done. I'm over it. I'm not doing this again, which is kind of sad to be honest in all intents and purposes. But, you know, because in general, you're kind of lying to yourself and also lying to the public because you're making it seem like you're happy with your current state, but you're not. You're just finding a way to kind of process it and deal with it in real time. Because if you don't, you'll be screaming into your pillow every day. And who needs that? 
nobody needs that so i can definitely understand where it's coming from but i do think it's a bit of a cop-out in some respects because if anything i've learned throughout my entire life is that life is essentially a journey of struggling essentially life is a journey of knowing how to bounce back from setbacks how to adapt um, how to maneuver but essentially you're going to be getting dealt with a varying levels of l's throughout your entire life and it's just your responsibility to make sure that you can just keep on trucking and one part of keep on trucking is to put on those running shoes and keep on running outside that is one crucial element of trucking is to put your running shoes on and go and stomp on the outside and just keep on moving and hope hope that the more you keep stomping your heavy feet outside, the more you keep breathing heavily and scaring women in front of you, that sooner rather than later is going to pay off and eventually you're going to be able to fit into all your little tight European clothes or your Japanese clothes or your South Korean clothes or your whatever else clothes that you have. You're definitely going to do it. That's what I've kind of figured out these last few days. But hey, it kind of is what it is. Um, Dave H says here, running gets easier, but you have to be consistent. No, it definitely gets easier. And I definitely accept that. But I still will down the hill that going to the gym one hour per day is far easier than going and running outside and I mean go to gym to do weights I don't mean going on gym to do a treadmill if you go to gym to go and do like strength and conditioning work and weightlifting like you're going to do back squats you're doing overhead presses you're doing bench presses um sumo deadlifts whatever else you're doing right with weights you're doing dumbbell curls you're doing barbell curls all of those things are hard still don't get me wrong but they're far easier to do one hour block per day five days per week seven days per week than it is to run outside for an hour per day run outside for an hour per day you'll probably die after the fourth day um your legs will be completely hurt and you'll be kind of running down the street like a turtle you'll be all hobbled your flipping form will be awful you have your your back will be arching you'll start having crazy shin splints your feet will be hurting all this stuff will be happening and sooner rather than later your body will adapt to it of course it's happened to me i used to do it constantly but i think in the long term in the long term um it's definitely harder which is why it kind of makes me think man i was on some mad thing man that's why i can't wait to get back to my former glory because i was on some madness i used to go and run three times per week on top of also going to the gym sometimes three to four times per week imagine that so i was doing like six a days per week sometimes on top of working full-time and commuting to work and living a life and whatnot it's just jesus christos like that's that's one of the other kind of casualties of COVID times and lockdowns, the inability to just kind of keep going around the hamster wheel. I think we all kind of had a forced moment of pause where we had to kind of take a step back and see things how they were and assess things and look after our health and blah, 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 blah. But what it did do is that it stopped our inability to just have the blinkers on and just keep going. It's like, it's impossible, right? Once someone takes the blinkers off, it's impossible for you not to see what's around you anymore. And now we're a lot more cautious. We're thinking about things, blah, blah, blah. And we're not just going. Like, I should just go. I was legitimately Brendan Shaw in a person. I would just go. Wake up early in the morning, hit the gym before I go to work, come back in, eat, head out to work. Come, sometimes I'd run back for, I'd run back home. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Imagine running back home on your commute, sometimes three days a week just to kind of show off and to feel flipping good, like on a, on a, on a regular, go out on a weekend, get absolutely trolleyed and then do it again the following week. So for sure, COVID definitely um, added to that kind of malaise, which is for the better and for the worse. Who knows? I think mostly it's for the worse, that inability to just keep 
hammering through things. Everyone, I think now is a lot more sensitive and we all probably, myself included, don't have a high tolerance level or pain threshold in general. When things kind of annoy us, we just kind of walk away from it or we stop doing it because, you know, COVID and lockdown kind of gave us luxury to do that. But I think that ability to kind of just keep motoring through and just keep powering through is a missing component that we're all lacking. I know I am at this current moment, but all things you lack, you can get back. All things you lack, you can get back. Talking about lacking and things changing, there was this amazing little clip that somebody uploaded onto social media, which I'm really happy about, um, from the recent, recent interview with Elon Musk on CNBC. Um, really good interview, actually. Probably the best one so far. I think mostly because I think, if I'm not mistaken, he handpicked the person interviewing him. Not because they were going to be licking his ass, but because he kind of respects him as a journalist. And I feel like it was a bit more of an informative interview. Um, it was done with the best intentions the person wasn't looking to do a gotcha because I think sometimes these gotcha interview type people I understand what they're trying to do you're kind of trying to set a narrative you're trying to uh, get the clicks you're trying to already you're basically content generating in real time by asking people certain questions knowing what they'll say that'll then allow you to kind of pull 10 pits of content and you know numerous amounts of headlines and stuff that you can add to your piece and your social media stuff but in terms of a conversation that you can listen to in long form or even just the interview clip it makes for a terrible interview so when the person that's interviewing somebody is just very thorough and kind of has a lot of knowledge on what they're actually talking about it actually makes for a far better interview and i feel like even though elon has his faults he actually is far better in interviews where the person's kind of pushing back and being a little bit um challenging not combative not trying to you know again not trying to have a gotcha moment not trying to insult his intelligence not trying to take the piss but just being somewhat um, combative and just trying to push back and answer some questions and get them to clarify and stuff and you do make for a far better interview and I think this one was the best but this clip is hilarious right coming from Elon Musk so the interviewer asked him a question about um, working from home and Elon Musk had a very interesting answer for this, which shouldn't surprise any of us because most of you, as you know, um, when all that whole working from home stuff was happening and the whole anti-work movement was happening and it was around at the same time that Elon was taking over Twitter or even not even Twitter, I think even when he was at Tesla still, he already made it very, very clear when that whole thing was happening that as soon as it was safe technically to go back in the offices and as soon as the government mandates kind of dropped, he would demand everybody in his office to basically go back to the office. Like there was no... There was no getting around it whatsoever. And he made that very, very, very clear. And this interview kind of, um, you know, kind of reminds us of this. So this is Elon Musk's thoughts and opinions on working from home. I'm a big believer that... that oh, come on. I'm a big believer that what? Come on, brother. Give me something here. Give me something here. All right, cool. It says big believe is not happening. So we're going to have to refresh that a bit. Let's hope that works. But back to the beginning again. Let's see. There we go. I'm a big believer that. that, that. Come on, bro. Okay, that big build up and now it's not, not, not helping me. All right, cool. Maybe I have to reload it. Let me reload it a second. Let's see if I can reload it. That, Give me a sec. Let's just people reload it. Reload this one minute and see if that works. Maybe the reloading side of it will make it work, but yeah. Uh, 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 uh. 
Yeah, you're right, Mega Fan. I probably do need to update the RAM. So I need to update the RAM, I think. Yeah, for sure. I've definitely got too many tabs open right now, but for sure the RAM is definitely an issue. That's definitely not something um, I'm going to deny there, my friend. So yeah, that will get done in due course for sure. But for now, give me one minute to load. Usually I tell I, I pull them off anyway. I should just I should just pull my videos when I'm doing the live stream of the pod. I should just pull them and have them all prepared. That'll definitely help. Um when I upload them on streamable and stuff, it's far better. But and sometimes anyway, Twitter video is a bit janky. I feel like Twitter video works a lot better on the iOS app. It doesn't necessarily work the best on desktop, but let's just make sure that it should be loading. It should load now. Hopefully things are should be okay. It's just loading now. It should be fine now. Let's just hope. Bear with me one second as the circle keeps turning, but it should help. Yeah, there we go. Should be okay now. Okay. One second. Yeah, so this is Elon Musk's very nuanced opinions on working from home, which I feel like is uh, <laughs> something that a lot of other CEOs out there are definitely going to feel him on, on what he's saying here. Let me just quickly make sure I can adjust this camera as well, because I think this one, for some reason, is going a bit goo goo gaga. Let's make sure this is fine. There we go. Oh, there we go. We love a bit of that, don't we? We love a bit of that. Let's get this over here too. Bish, bash, bosh. Okay, there we go. That works, isn't it? Yep, that works a bit. Boom. Cool. Let's do that from there. Let's see if this works. This should work now. I'm a big believer that 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 people need to are more productive when they're in person. Look, there are some exceptions, but I I kind of think that that the whole notion. Oh come on, the whole notion. There are some exceptions. Give it to me, brother. Give it to me work from home is is a bit like, like the you know the the, the the fake Marie Antoinette quote let them eat cake well it's not having it isn't it it's not gonna have it in the slightest then it's not having it in the slightest it's like Okay, it's not even in the slice. Let's just pause it for now. I'm not going to keep pausing and stopping this. But essentially, Elon Musk is saying that working from home is morally, morally, morally wrong, which is fucking insane considering the amount of things that he does for money that people think are morally not the right things to do. Um, and it's a strange kind of point to kind of uh, die on. It's a very, very strange hill to down in general when it comes to working from home because when I was working in general, and I've been in different sort of office environments, I've been in startups with less than 10 people, I've been in corporations with more than 500 people. And what I basically had seen there when I was working in these places, what the whole working from home thing was generally something that was um, given to uh, senior members of staff. It wasn't something as a reward for working hard. It was something that a lot of the senior members of staff took as an advantage for their seniority to kind of just tell, to kind of just do what, exactly what they wanted. So sometimes on the Thursday or Friday specifically, or even sometimes on a Wednesday, if they were feeling a little bit blue in the middle of the week, they'll just randomly send an email before your shift starts and say, hey, something turned up, I'm going to be working from home today. But then you had to actually go into the flipping um, you know office yourself there was no option for you to work from home at all and you know with the exception of a few days here and there if you were ill so I think that already created a bit of an issue in workplaces that 
you know, upper management were basically taking liberties with the working from home thing. And then if you were one of the lowly employees like I was, entry level, mid level, whatever it may be, you didn't have any opportunity to do so. So when the whole lockdown thing happened and working from home then became an option, what it did, I think, is I opened people's eyes, regular people that work from home, sorry, that work nine to fives like I do, that there's a whole group of people out there, especially freelancers, a lot of my friends who do kind of their own thing, had been living this kind of life for a very, very long time. And it kind of allowed you to do a lot of things with your time. You could maybe a bit be a bit more entrepreneurial. You can maybe pick up a few more extra projects. You can maybe spend more time with your kids, whatever the 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 benefit was for freeing up your time for not being in a fixed location all the time. It kind of made things a little bit easier that way. But what it also did, I feel like quite quickly, is that it kind of made people realize that some people prefer to work from home, some people don't. It's just a preference. It's not like a thing that should it's not it's not like um it's not something that everybody was going to adopt. I think that was maybe the fear a lot of these big CEOs maybe had that their entire flipping workforce will want to work from home. And that necessarily isn't the case, especially in the fields that I work in when it comes to like, you know, um, design and fashion and stuff and creative stuff and startups and whatever it may be. There's plenty of people who are more than happy to be the only one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe more than 10 people in the office and everybody else work from home because they actually like to leave their home. They actually like to come in and see their colleagues. They actually like to, you know, have some lunch with some random people, hang out in the city center, whatever it may be they don't mind the, the office commute all the way you know whatever it may be going there coming back so this notion that everybody would prefer to work from home is not really kind of correct i don't think so i've got plenty of people that i know who love going into the office once or twice a week because it's their time to catch up with people get some actual work done on some certain things because certain things you can only get done when you're seeing people in front of you face to face so this idea that um you know everybody was going to do it didn't really make any sense and the whole moral argument as well is incredibly ludicrous i feel like elon should have been it would have been an easier position to die it would have been an easier hill to die on for elon if he just would have come out and said no i just prefer it in my companies that people work in the office i just find it more productive and i just find it creates a better working atmosphere and it's just something that i believe in as the best way to get the best out of people which obviously gets the best out of the company and pushes closer to our goals just say that but using it as a moral argument i feel like it's a weird hill to die on personally for me it doesn't really make any sense um saying it's a morality issue in the slightest whatsoever um but i do understand and respect that some you know owners of company are just going to have a completely different perspective when it comes to this sort of stuff so that completely makes a lot of sense and i feel like for me anyway i feel like personally i'm way more productive when i'm in the office i can't deny that i feel like i concentrate a lot more when i'm there and it's not because of fear because you have your senior members of staff there who can tell you off i legitimately feel like it's just a little bit more you're clocked on it's the same thing that i feel like if i had a studio i'd prefer to record in the studio they can record at home because it's the idea of like clocking in going to work taking it seriously this is your time that you're doing your deep kind of work and you're not mucking around at home and stuff and being lazy and getting distracted you're into a work mode so 
I know many people who work in, you know, who do music, who do stuff like I'm doing now, that like podcasting and video sort of stuff, who legitimately would rather spend £500 more a month hiring or having a, a separate studio outside of their home just so they can have a little bit more of a professional mindset towards the work that they're doing. So it's not just them lying on, you know, in bed doing the stuff under their duvet. It actually requires them to get ready, prepare their stuff and take it with them wherever they're going. That mind shift is a bit important. And some people are just like that as well i noticed over the time and even someone like me i think at the beginning of the pandemic i was very staunchly against working from the, working from the office i felt like the whole work from home thing should have been a right that everybody should have and it would open the world up to do you know open people's um possibilities up to travel the world do interesting things but then as time progressed and stuff i started to realize you know what i actually don't mind the hybrid i really don't mind being able to work a couple of days at home work a couple of days in the office and kind of balance that way but i do understand the the kind of um the utility of being in the same room with people and how it can kind of help to foster sort of you know not, i would say collaboration but just to foster a good working atmosphere get along gang all that malarkey so that completely makes sense in that regard so i think elon's a bit off on that one but you know you know it's elon's vibe um next we're going to mention this um i recently went to uh, watch gardens of the galaxy volume three and um don't get me wrong i'm probably the worst person to judge these movies because like an idiot i haven't watched any other gardens of the galaxy before in my entire life i've never watched a single one so this is the first time i've watched one of these movies ever in my entire life ever 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 so because of that maybe i'm coming at it from the wrong point of view but categorically i'm not gonna lie that may be one of the worst things i've ever watched in my entire life it was so fucking shit so shit so boring um i legitimately felt like i was gonna fall asleep at many many occasions during the time that i was in there watching that shit um i couldn't wait until it was over and i was really starting to question my own sanity because everybody around me was having such a great time they were all giggling and laughing and really enjoying what they were seeing on on that screen and i couldn't figure it out i was like how the fuck are these guys liking what they're seeing here what am i not getting but then I realized that these two are movies, I think this is the reason why people kind of, you know, scoff at them in general and why they do so good at the box office. They appeal to normies, which is not a bad thing, but they do generally appeal to normies. Normies are the main, I feel like, um, are the main audience for these type of movies. I don't think if you're not a normie, if you're not somebody that doesn't enjoy Taylor Swift music, if you don't think Harry Styles is cool, it's very hard to watch Guardians of the Galaxy and take that shit seriously. It's very difficult to watch that and have it, not even take it seriously, sorry. It's very good to enjoy stuff like this if you're not a fan of Harry Styles, if you don't think, you know, Taylor Swift's amazing, um, if you don't think James Corden is one of the finest people in the world, if you don't rush back home and watch Jimmy Fallon. Um, I don't know, man. Whatever. I can't think of anything other than Normie. But it, and it's not even a slight. It's just like a general observation of it and the reason why i'm kind of a bit upset about it is that i feel a little bit like i feel like comic book movies in general for some reason i don't know why this has happened again being somebody that's bought comics for you know the majority of my life and stuff and followed it for a majority of my life it's just upsetting that the only version of like serious comic book movies that you have or tv shows mostly come from like animations um there's not a lot of like movies nowadays that kind of deal with um you know from the marvel dc universe that are somewhat a reflection of the comic books 
most of it is just this weird slapstick comedy type shit thing that they do that isn't to me funny in the slightest bit whatsoever um it's kind of cringe to be completely honest but people absolutely love it and lap it up which again like i said it just made me question my own sanity because i was in there watching it thinking like well like what am i not getting why am i falling asleep why am i kind of you know rolling my eyes in this dark cinema at all this flipping corny jokes at this nonsensical plot um at this like whatever i i just i just couldn't understand it and then i realized oh this wasn't made for me this was made for people who like this type of shit who enjoyed that type of humor and even just some little musical interludes that like there will be bits in it where like i don't know they played um the, the the raccoon character will play like a song on the on the on the on the on the flipping um on the ipod type of thing and i legitimately thought it was like i legitimately thought that whole thing again maybe it maybe it's, it's featured it's maybe it's a prominent thing in guardians of the galaxy but i feel like the whole playing of the music thing was just an excuse not to have interesting bits of writing instead of actually writing an interesting bit of the story and developing it they just play the song so it turned into some it just turned into la la land out of the out of the blue and then you were just left there like what are you am i meant to clap should i stand up should i do a two-step like what the hell is going on here why are we sitting here listening to this stuff like what are we doing here i really couldn't answer it in the slightest it's really really strange and um yeah it just i left it not knowing why what the things that are happening were happening why i should care the adam warlock character like god almighty legitimately one of the worst things i've watched in my life but then i watch i go on google i see the news and they're saying that it's going to have one of the largest box offices people are buying tickets in their droves and like we went quite late and the room that we were watching it in was kind of small but it was fairly full up and shit people were coming in there late eager to see it waiting for the credits to see all the after credit scenes and shit so clearly i'm in the minority in terms of thinking it was terrible clearly maybe i just don't get it but oh my god what an incredible waste of two and a half hours i'll never get back and if you try and tell me now oh Ag, what was the story <laughs> shrug shoulders what was the story i don't know some people thought some shit got blown up some jokes were made in the end everything was okay <laughs> that was it there was some sort of conflict there to resolve and in the end it worked out that was it nothing else interesting happened in it in the slightest it was legitimately legitimately one of the worst things i've watched in my entire life there were parts of it where i was sitting down thinking like this is like a weird kind of like parody of the boys it felt like but i was like hold on no it isn't the boys is meant to be a parody and satire of traditional superhero movies like that's what it should be but then it can't you know what i mean like that's how much of a flipping mind fuck awful average thing it was it was just weird and legitimately everybody around me was having the time of their lives they were laughing at every little one-liner every little quip every little musical interlude that kind of tied into the sub thing that was happening on screen like the talking dog <laughs> people fucking love the talking dog <laughs> they love the talking dog they were so happy that there was this talking dog thing they were over the moon this talking dog was literally 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 winning the entire people in the flipping um cinema room that we were in i just couldn't understand it i really couldn't and i left there thinking you know what 
at least I gave this sort of stuff a go and I'm actually happy I went into it blind. I went into it with no knowledge of the movie franchise itself. I did no research prior. I purposely did that and I'm glad I did. But oh my God, what a waste of two and a half hours. Legitimately, what a waste of two and a half hours. It might have been two hours on the dot, but it legitimately felt like two and a half hours and I'm so happy it's over. I really, really am. Um, other than that, also, anybody watching Barry season four? If you're watching Barry season four, am I the only person that's feeling like it's very, very, very underwhelming? Like, I read somewhere that the main character is one of the people involved in actually writing a lot of the new season, which may explain why it's so terrible. But it also made me think, you know what? This is part of the reason why I can't be super upset with these film studios if they decide to go the AI route and why I can kind of understand they don't want to pay these writers in Hollywood the big bucks if this is what they're trotting out. This is meant to be the final season of this show that started off pretty decently, I felt like, and it's legitimately fallen off a cliff. I just don't understand. Like, even this, there's like a time shift thing, a time jump in the series, and um, I legitimately thought that time jump was like a dream. It was like some Inception-level dream. Um, some, oh, I hoped, here's what would happen if I had like a, diff if I made a different choice. No, I felt like it was one of those kind of, points they put in stories where the character's like oh if i would have made some different choices in my life here's what i could have ended up and they play out like it's an actual thing but suddenly you you turn on an episode and that whole you know scenario is what you're seeing and you're like hold on so that wasn't a time so that wasn't a dream it was actually a time jump so this is them like i don't know 10 15 years on whatever it may be and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Why do I care about this? What function does this play in the story that we started off with in season, the beginning of season four? It's just so weird. It's going to such a weird tangent. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and I don't get it because usually when you have series that are like, you know, four to five seasons, six seasons, seven seasons, but you know, when they kind of stop a series before it kind of dies um, through lack of just being around too much, I kind of feel like when they decide to kind of end series early, that usually it should give them an opportunity to kind of tighten the story up and get rid of all the fluff. Or it's an opportunity to tell a really concise story, a really kind of fleshed out story that doesn't need anything more additional put into it. Sopranos being a good example of it, apart from wanting to know how, you know, the ending actually played out frame by frame, we can kind of fill in the gaps, but you don't need more seasons to tell that story. Personally, I don't feel like it kind of ended perfectly. Same goes for The Wire. And I think The Wire was four seasons. So why couldn't Barry do the same thing? Why couldn't it just be like four tight seasons? It does well and it just continues moving. And then if you want to do sequels or whatever, prequels, you want to do fucking offshoots and have other characters have their show, whatever. But I just don't get why this hasn't been able to be tightened up when they already knew this was the final season ahead of time. Or maybe it's a consequence of the writer's strike. I'm not too sure, but this definitely made me more sympathetic to the flipping plight of these you know, production companies. Why would you want to pay these writers the top fees if this is what they're trotting out? If this is allegedly their best work? I wouldn't want to pay them either. These guys don't know what they're doing. I'd rather I'd rather try my chances with AI. I'd rather try AI and see what they could do. 
Like, what can AI figure out if I give them a couple prompts? Right? What what could AI kind of get going if I put them in the right direction? What could they do? Because this is just shockingly bad. And um, yeah, it's kind of making me bummed out. I'm not going to lie. Barry season four isn't great in the slightest, but you know, I've started it, unfortunately. And this is the one thing these fucking production companies and these TV companies have. They make you start these series and then it's really difficult to just drop them midway through. I can drop something if I start in the first season. I can watch it a couple episodes in and say, you know what, it's not for me. But if I'm already invested one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight seasons, I have to finish it. Same thing happened with Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones was already starting to get terrible since like season five. We all knew it, but we all kind of held out hope that it was going to get better. It never got better. And then we had to kind of just finish it because we already had started it. They kind of know this. So they kind of, I feel like it's a bit of a honey dick. They kind of play you a little bit. They present you one thing one way. And then once you get in, it's another way. And it's flipping annoying. So yeah, Barry season four, me not enjoying it in the slightest. It's been a real slog to get through. And um, yeah, I can't wait until it's over, actually. I can't wait until it's over next one i quickly mention of course um the flipping frustrating frustrating um situation that occurred just the other day with bloody man city smashing real madrid 4-0 in the second leg of the semi-final of the champions league to go into the final facing into Milan. and um yeah if you're wayne rooney you're not surprised wayne rooney already told us previously that Man City, sorry, that Man City were going to absolutely destroy Real Madrid. And I think a lot of people on social media, myself included, because we hate Man City and we wanted Real Madrid to win, we were like, nah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a pisshead. Go back home to beat your wife and stuff. We were talking some madness. But in the end, I guess Wayne Rooney does know a thing or two about football. And he was entirely right. Man City absolutely destroyed Real Madrid. It wasn't even a match. It wasn't even a game. It was so one-sided. It was absolutely crazy. And this, at this level, especially considering what we've seen of Real Madrid in prior rounds of the Champions League, it was really incredible to see just how wide the gap is, just how much better you know Man City are than Real Madrid in general. That was really crazy to see. And I think it was a reminder to everybody in the Premier League and Europe overall, Man City have definitely gone about building their kind of um, real-time modern-day football dynasty the right way. Obviously, they have unlimited funds. There's a bit of cheating involved there, a little bit of dodging this and that, whatever it may be. There may be some, you know, performance-enhancing things going on as well. Who knows? But in general, in terms of actually putting together a coherent squad, in terms of having a long-term overarching footballing mission and program you want to do, they've executed it and this is the rewards of it the rewards of it are this the rewards of it is that they play Real Madrid and absolutely spank them 4-0 two goals in the second in the first half two goals in the second half game over good night you know what I mean see you in the finals absolutely incredible so yeah big up them I guess hope they still get battered by Inter Milan but big up them but then the most important news to come out of all of this, the most important news to come out of all of this in the past couple of days has been this, which has been quite surprising because I was one of the people that was doubting this would be possible. Courtesy of The Guardian, Qatar's Sheikh Jassim submits a late 5.5 billion bid to buy Man United. And I'm over the moon about it. I was really dubious about this because I felt like 
mostly because it's been the British media have been pushing Jim Ratcliffe as the preferred owner of United more so than this um, Qatari gentleman. And which is understandable because, you know, we're in the UK, they're going to kind of, you know, go through who they want to go for. But j just in general, from the noises I've been seeing online with the Glazers and the fact that um, Jim Ratcliffe was only wanted to buy a, um, a minority stake in Man United and then, you know, the Glazers will still have a stake in it so they can still make some decisions. It kind of felt like the Glazers would prefer to give up a minority stake or give up a small portion of the club for way more than what the value is and then later on down the line sell the rest of their controlling stake to basically double dip. That made more sense to me. And I think the rumours out there was that, you know, Jim Ratcliffe was offering like $4 billion for 69%, which is crazy because it means the further down the line, you know, they could sell the remaining 39 they have, or whatever it may be, for another $6 billion or another 5 or 4 or 3 whatever it may be. But they would get way more out of those two sales than getting a 5.5 out of 1. And then, of course, on top of that, from the Qatari side of things, they was always kind of intimating that they would never, ever be pushed into a corner or made to over overpay for Man United they didn't want to do that they didn't want to be seen as like an unlimited um, cash reserve where the Glazers could just you know whack whatever price they wanted on the club and because the Qataris were so desperate to own Man United that they would offer whatever it took to make it happen and clearly it hasn't happened because look what's happened now this update the Qataris are offering an improved bid. So they saw what happened with um, Jim Ratcliffe. They saw that he was a preferred bidder, that he was in the race, and they decided to go back and send a improved offer, which I'm hearing as well from the, you know, um, in the no accounts on Twitter. This was an offer that was submitted directly to the Glazers. Um, Sheikh Jassim didn't want to use the intermediary group that they were using to do the negotiations. He went to go straight directly to the Glazers himself, boss to boss, have it out. And this is the news that we have, which I'm really happy about. It continues. It says Sheikh Jassim bin Hamid Al-Tahini has made a dramatic fourth bid for Man United with an improved offer of no more than £5.5 billion, which includes a clearance of £1 billion of debt and a fund solely for the club and surrounding community, which is absolutely incredible for me. I'm not really bothered about who ends up owning United. My, my main port of call is that I want... My main port of call is that I want... Um, United to be sold outright I just don't want the Glazers to have any control any influence on the club whatsoever the Glazer ownership must come to an end because as we've seen already with Man City absolutely obliterating Real Madrid in the semi-finals if we want to catch up to Man City the only way we can is by getting rid of the Glazers they are not owners for a sporting project where you want to win trophies or you want to be one of the best clubs in the world they're only there to extract dividends and make sure that we finish in the top four so that they can get more money that's what they care about they don't care about sporting success in any way shape or form if that's the case give us new owners i don't care who it is just give us new owners that care about sporting success that care about trophies um that care about creating a new legacy that care about competing with the best teams in the world and i'm happy but this is a cherry on the cake the fact that they're willing to clear the debt the fact that they're clearing to have willing to have a fund for the club and for the surrounding community there's also talk of them um offering the potential to rebuild sorry to build a new main nights to build a new stadium for us and get rid of old traffic because it's completely you know dilapidated to improve the training facilities there's conversations around maybe having a separate facilities for the women's team all these things are super important in order to get us 
back to where we should be as a club of our stature and our size. But again, full sale only, full sale only. Fuck the Glazers until the end. It continues. More than two weeks have passed since Sheikh Jassim and Sir Jim Ratcliffe's Ineos owner um, each submitted what was supposedly the final bids for United. The Qatari bank offer has been close to five billion for one hundred percent, while Jim Ratcliffe was thought to be for a stake of little over fifty percent, leaving Avron and Joel as the two siblings who collectively own the majority share with twenty percent of a stake. Which I hated because anyway, and if anything, it makes Jim Ratcliffe look like a complete rat. Because if you are a supposed fan of Man United, there is no way. If you're a childhood, boyhood fan of United, there's no way that you'd be happy to give the Glazers, um, you know, close to five billion for a partial ownership of the club and still have them on the board, um, you know, calling things. You wouldn't do that in a slice. You want them out as soon as possible. It continues. It says, but the the Guardian understands that Sheikh Jassim intent to become United's next owner moved him in to increase his price by 500 million while clearing the debt and creating a fund solely for the club and surrounding community as he seeks to become the greatest preferred bidder. The family originally valued the club at 6 billion when it was went to, when they went to market. Um, Weber Ratcliffe, one of Britain's richest people who also owns French club Nice, who's doing a terrible job there, will respond is unclear. However, a third option may be that one of the more Glazers uh, retains the entire stake and they take investment into the club which the US firm Elia Investment and the Carlisle Group are interested in doing so that's a nightmare scenario for most fans the nightmare scenario is that the Glazers don't sell they end up staying there and they end up just taking the investment in order to kind of do what we need to do in a transfer market to rebuild the club, whatever it may be. But we don't want that because the Gladys have proved over the last 20 years that they might be some of the worst owners in football history when they don't have the brilliance of Sir Alex Ferguson to depend on who can win trophies and be successful in spite of their terrible ownership. It's been proven that they don't know what they're doing clearly. And I just don't want it to continue any longer. They've been the worst owners of all time get them out of our club sooner rather than later and if it happens to be Qatar's Sheikh Jassim then I'm all for it especially if he's going to take full ownership of the club clear the debt build a new stadium improve the training facilities and give us a transfer budget so that we can collectively get closer to clubs at Man City because we are so far behind them it's legitimately scary how far behind them we are and the more time goes by the less time we're thinking about kind of moving things forward it's going to get worse and worse and worse so I'm more than happy for that to be happening more than happy for that to be happening moving on from that we need to talk about this quickly right let's talk about this so um this has been some interesting news coming out from the old uh sneaker space online and whatnot regarding jamaran and his shoes right he's got these shoes with nike called hunger and um, first i've heard them because i don't really keep up to date with basketballers um signature shoes anymore um you know i never was really into it because i don't really play basketball but in general there was some rumblings happening on social media that it looked like nike may have dropped jamaran for all the gun toting nonsense because they were unable to to find a particular colorway of the shoes that he had online but somebody online this user called brandon so graciously cleared up all the rumors but the clearing up the rumors is one thing i still think the noises around this aren't good for jamaran this definitely is an indication that his deal is maybe in jeopardy and if you consider that nike was so quick to you know terminate um kyrie irving's nike contract for simply simply posting a screenshot of the documentary he was watching on Amazon, I think 
you know, it's not looking good for the kid. And if that's the case, that's a lot of money. You're basically flushing down the drain so that you have the ability and the freedom to tote your gun on IG Live. It doesn't seem like a fair deal to me. It doesn't seem like it's worth it in the slightest. Um, but let's read the tweet here, courtesy of this Brandon user on Twitter. It says as follows, I'm losing my mind at all these random NBA news accounts saying that the JA1s are being pulled by Nike. Guys, they only removed the colorways that have been sold out for weeks. The ones next week are still on sneakers, the Nike official app that you can buy limited edition shoes on. Um, there's currently no change in the release calendar. It continues. He says some people have also pointed out that they removed the SKU from the sneakers page, but this is because every JA1 model has two SKUs for some unknown reason, and the up and coming pair is no exception. From my understanding, they removed the SKUs to prevent confusion. So you could believe that if you want. I still think the rumors and the rumblings around it are not great for the guy it definitely goes to show that there are some people maybe some higher ups in nike who are questioning why they should be associated with him in any way shape or form if this is who he's going to be and i feel like it's a it's a it's a big price to pay so this is the exact price he's paying for having the ability and the freedom to tote his gun in the air he's having all these big brands these big sponsors essentially quietly and ever so slightly and quietly and ever so subtly actually distance themselves from him and i feel like i kind of feel bad for him i'm not gonna lie in this case i do because you would imagine being an athlete like he is um especially at his young age getting a deal with nike having your own signature shoe is a big deal and it being taken away because you decided that you like to pop your gun from time to time whenever you listen to nba young boy that is for sure an nba dumb boy move so i'm hoping it gets cleared up I'm hoping this is a message and who knows, it'll be hilarious if that's the reason why he decides to flip in, stop posting his gun on IG Live, that his Nike contract may be up. But that might be a good enough reason regardless. So fingers crossed for Jay for Jamaran. I don't want to see him lose his Nike deal. I, can, I still say he should continue being an absolute wild boy and, you know, self-sabotaging and going crazy. I don't feel like everybody should be trying to sit down with him and give him a flipping lesson. No, let him go nuts, but I don't want to see him lose his shoes. That's why I draw the line. <laughs> That's why I draw the line. Next on the list here, we have this again, courtesy of a user called Brian Merchant, which is a very interesting update regarding BuzzFeed. And this may have some um, ripple effects when it comes to the other brands and other publications that BuzzFeed's own, such as Complex. So, this um, tweeter said as follows. It says, BuzzFeed CEO John per Jonah Peretti speaking at the Vessels Day just one week after laying off its entire news team. Um, over the next few years, aggressive, sorry, generative AI will replace the majority of static content. And if you're not aware, to give you some context, um, BuzzFeed did go through a round of mass layoffs a lot of people on social media especially on twitter were very happy to see a lot of these flipping self-important journalists on buzzfeed essentially unemployed overnight with a flick of a button um because you know the world is move changing and moving around them and you don't really need physical people to make you know nonsensical listicles or quiz type pieces of content when you can just whack those things into stuff like chat G gpt and with a couple of prompts have never-ending listicles and quizzes that you can publish on there without having to pay somebody's salary so it makes complete sense but think about it this way this could have ramifications into the space that i was 
formally in. For the longest time when I was growing up, um, I was able to and lucky to be one of the first kind of group of people who was a contributing editor and writer on Hypebeast, right? one of the kind of leading streetwear and cultural sort of like online magazines out there. And when I used to write on Hypebeast, what we used to do is I used to have a login and you'd log into the WordPress account and you'd kind of submit your pieces of writing and copy to a queue and an editor would look over them and publish the ones that they thought were adequate or were up to scratch or maybe add some notes so you to advise some things and then what happened is that you'd get paid per um, post so you get paid I think at the time I was getting paid like $50 per post or something right on Hypebeast and you get that sent that you know via invoice um, in, your, in your paper which is pretty decent especially for me when I was going to uni I had no money and stuff um, I couldn't get a job because I spent most of my time in school I didn't have any work experience so every time I tried to go hand out my CV to places all I had was like summer school shit I had no real working experience so having the ability to sort of write these articles about supreme drops and about jordan releases and the hundred stuff and whatever it may be was a real god saver was a real sorry a real good lifesaver so that was amazing but a lot of it involved me also being up i had to be up checking forums checking you know other news pages checking brand sites and you know just to make sure that i can kind of have an idea on what's dropping what's released so i can be the first to kind of put it out there i had a bit of an advantage because i'm being in the uk a lot of the writers are from hypebeast were based in the us or based in asia especially china that's where their main headquarters are big up kevin ma and that was kind of gave me the competitive edge but then over time naturally it became harder and harder because a lot of the news they were getting most of it was inbound anyway, especially as Hypebeast began to grow. Um, a lot of brands were reaching out and wanting to have things featured on the site. And, you know, from that moment on, the need to have writers going around the internet, scraping news and being the first to post it kind of went because all the news that you needed, essentially news around collaborations, uh, new product drops, up and coming um, up, up and coming line collection drops, lookbook pictures, all that stuff has actually been sent by the brands. So the need to have dedicated contributors kind of dwindled. So over time, you know, I kind of left there and wasn't doing that anymore. But then over time, I've also noticed that there's been a lot more of this kind of like hypebeast team thing written on the site. And even places like High Snobai have the same thing. So you're not even employing like a one person editorial. They're not, they're not caring about one person. Um, you know writing an article about a supreme drop they'd rather just have it kind of made internally by a team that kind of puts it out or just have the brief and the blurb sent by the brand and then just kind of copy and paste it and post it on the site now there are some sites that are still you know employing writers and giving them sort of like you know making them feel good about themselves and writing this sort of shit and complex is one of them but if you imagine with generative ai being the way it is especially with a couple of prompts you could essentially eradicate the entire contributing editor ecosystem, especially on these places, by just essentially with a couple of prompts, having ChatGPT and stuff write you 250 to 500 words on the latest Air Force One coming out or some shoe dropping during Air Max Day or another New Balance collaboration. They could be done easily and they could be done scheduled um, ahead of time. So you don't even need to kind of engage with it any more than just whacking in the prompts on the beginning of any week or beginning of any month. And this quote um, taken from the BuzzFeed CEO, 
CEO during the investor day kind of says that. It says as follows, over the next few years, generative AI will replace the majority of the static content and audiences will begin to expect all content to be curated and dynamic with embedded intelligence. AI will lead to new formats that are more garnified, sorry, no, more gamified, more personalized and more in interactive. Soon, Jess will share how BuzzFeed is using generative AI to innovate around new content formats and establish blueprint for AI-driven revenue growth across the company. And with developments with both creators and AI, we see the opportunity to build a content creation model that makes our creative team more efficient and sustainably expands our output without increasing fixed cost. We have, oh, interesting. They're trying to use a sustainability point of view on this, right? Like we can increase the output by not having as many people around the world doing these jobs, having not having to require them to you know travel lowering the carbon footprint and whatever it's crafty crafty fucks it continues says yeah we've thought deeply about these skills shifts sorry and we have made a strategic and organizational changes in order to capitalize on them which marcella and felicia will discuss in more detail later on so again this is clear in, in direction or a clear sort of um example especially for myself considering the work that i used to do which is mostly in social media, mostly in marketing, mostly in communication. A lot of that stuff is completely eradicated and be completely mute, especially even the previous stuff that I've been doing, which has been mostly like customer service, kind of, you know, you're responding to tickets and resolving any sort of issues and, you know, clarifying refunds or return policies, all of those things in general, all of those things, all of those things are things that you could essentially get a, you know, a semi-decent AI to sort out. You don't need anything else than that, to be honest. You don't need an entire workforce of customer service agents um, when you can essentially train an AI model to kind of do that things for you. They kind of already have it now with certain places. I know with me, when I pay my Wi-Fi bill, whatever, um, the, the company that we use has a kind of customer service pool that you can use and most of it to get to somebody, even before you want to get to somebody, to get just some general overview instructions, you can already get it with a couple of prompts and clicking on a couple of things. So um, big up all of these guys and i think in general it is a scary sort of future for all of us if you're involved in social media if you're involved in branding marketing um you know all of these things are really being impacted deeply when it comes to flipping social but yeah um that's a bit of a scary one and that one a bit of a scary one that one to so a chat is saying uh lewis bj said shout to az day one many name changes but always i'm tuning in yeah big up lewis bj appreciate you thank you for tuning in as per usual that is very, very much appreciated. And then also moving on as another kind of example of the shifting nature of media and content nowadays is this update courtesy of Variety, which is really interesting. It says YouTube 2023 upfront platform to launch unskippable 30 second ads on TVs. Roger Cadell on hand to tout NFL Sunday ticket packed. Unskippable 30 second ads on YouTube TV, which essentially means YouTube is turning into TV, which it already has, which is why I kind of laugh at people who kind of say things like, oh, I don't watch TV as a way to kind of show off and to kind of make it seem like they are better than you. But essentially you do because you watch YouTube every day. I know I do. I watch more YouTube than I watch of any kind of, you know, traditional TV in any way, shape or form. Most of the TV series I do watch, I, I'm usually downloading them off of flipping torrents and stuff. I'm not exactly sitting down in front of a TV and catching them when they're actually on. I just watch them after the, you know, after the case. So I think a lot of people do the same thing and I don't even have a screen to kind of project on, but I know some people use 
TVs to cast on or they have digital TVs with inbuilt apps on it so you can use and this is becoming like the go-to thing especially when you go to like podcast subreddits you see a lot of people posting pictures of themselves in their living rooms listening and watching podcasts or having them on in the background and a lot of people kind of enjoy their content that way because then it kind of leave your phone free so you can be browsing social media and doing whatever you want to do so this makes complete sense but it also does show that regardless of where you go these advertising companies are always going to find a way to push stuff down your throat you thought you could escape it being on youtube you thought you could escape it with the ad block you thought you could escape it with buying youtube premium nah anywhere you go they're going to find a way to get an ad in front of you but this is definitely an, a, a, a kind of another signal change that you know youtube and these kind of video sharing platforms are definitely becoming the main places where people are checking out things and it also makes me wonder or it makes me say that no it also makes me believe and have the hot take that a lot of these streaming companies don't want to release yeah this is my hot take a lot of these streaming companies don't want to release their analytics because this is a thing that happens so if you got a comedy special with netflix if you have uh you know something optioned by amazon video or hulu whatever these places are they never ever give you the analytics so they never let you know how people have viewed it whatever it may be so if your show gets cancelled you have no idea if it got cancelled because no one watched it or because whoever's heading that division when you sign got fired or they want to change the direction you don't know and part of the reason why they don't release the analytics was, you know, the common and saying was, oh, it's part of their leverage. They want to hold on to that information because that is the information that's really valuable, the data analytics into it. Because from that data, you can basically synthesize it, pull it apart and make other bits of content that you could kind of, you know, uh, put through the machine again. But now I'm thinking about it. Maybe the reason why they don't release statistics or analytics to the people who create the content and put them on their platforms is because no one's watching anything. That's what I'm thinking because a lot of people, I feel like the stats in general, when it comes to viewing figures for shows, I feel like I've been, they've been fudged somewhat. When they say some many people watch this, I don't think that many people are watching it, especially on the traditional platforms. It's, it's, it, the, the same can be said for Game of Thrones. There was times when Game of Thrones seasons would drop and the episodes would be getting far more downloads illegally than they were getting views on wherever it was on HBO or whatever it may be. So it makes me think more people don't actually watch traditional TV, which is why they hold on to stats and they're watching things like YouTube. They're on Instagram every day. They're on flipping TikTok all the time. They're on Twitter all the time. So i don't know that's my general hot take on it the the numbers on streaming services aren't good in general that's why they hold on to them and they don't want people to know because if they will get people to know then it will expose the fact that they've been fudging the numbers and most places do fudge the numbers because then that allows them to then go out there and try and raise more money it's a standard trick and a thing that people do in startup industry the numbers are always faked they always inflated so that you can kind of give yourself opportunity to get more money to like to have more runway so you can continue making your shitty startup stuff Anyway, the article cuts you of variety says as follows. You choose biggest ad innovation in 2023. It might be borrowing a well-worn page from the old-fashioned linear TV. At the YouTube broad, uh, Brandcast Upfront event on Wednesday the, in New York, executives announced the introduction of 30-second unskippable ads um, in top-performing YouTube content on TVs. You know, just like commercials that have run on broadcast and cable networks for decades, YouTube also is starting uh, to test a pause experiences for YouTube on TV screens and showing an ad when viewers pause a video akin to the pause is ad Hulu ads um, four years ago. 
In their pitch on Madison Avenue types, YouTube executives also boasted of streaming services massive reach. More than 150 million unique views in the US watched viewers sorry, in the US watched YouTube and YouTube TV on televisions for the month of December 2022. Jesus Christ. That's the craziest stats. 150 million unique viewers in the US. Um, according to Nielsen estimates, um, YouTube remains the number one most watched service on screens in America across both streaming platforms and traditional TV. So they're killing it. And in April was one of the only streamers to see a month to month grow per Nielsen. It continues. More and more viewers are tuning into YouTube on the biggest screen in their home, said YouTube CEO Neil Mohan, calling it the seismic shift in the way people watch content. Viewers, especially younger viewers, no longer make a distinction between the kind of content they are watching. When they turn on the TV, they want everything they love in one place, from their favourite creators to blockbuster movies to football, and they can find it all on YouTube. Mohan, formerly um, YouTube Chief Product Officer, assumed the top job after Susan Wojcicki stepped aside earlier this year. R.I.P. Susan Wojcicki. Um, the Upfront presentation also highlighted YouTube's exclusive rights to the NFL Sunday ticket out of market games package um, starting in 2023 football season, making an appearance to push the pact with NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, joined by college football player turned YouTuber Destroying. Goodell revealed that the YouTube NFL partnership will enlist Mr. Beast, the number one individual creator on YouTube with 153 million subscribers, to create behind the scenes football content. They're going to get Mr. Beast to create football content. Interesting. The fact is millions of football fans are on foot YouTube to catch all things NFL, Goodell said. This partnership will build on the success we've seen on YouTube's platforms with our most sought after content. Garnering loud applause, YouTube's chief business officer, Mary L. Ellen Coe, announced that all broadcast attendees would receive a complimentary access to Sunday ticket for the 2023 season great move there um as part of nfl's partnership youtube original programming will include game day access game day all access sorry featuring mic'd up players on the sidelines during the game i love those bits of footage to be fair and it will launch a new youtube original short series called nfl creator of the week on the league's youtube channel once the football season kicks off this year youtube brandcast was held in lincoln center at the david giffen hall duh, 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 duh. imagine that mr beast creating nfl content for youtube the monies involved in it are crazy i'd imagine they probably backed up the brink shock on them ones but um if you're watching youtube on tv you're going to be a bit annoyed 30 second ads are going to be there so whatever you were skipping and moving away from on tv you're going to find there but essentially this definitely is a shift i kind of know this definitely is a a, a reminder that most people are watching their content on things like YouTube, Twitch, whatever else it may be, as opposed to traditional TV. So it made sense that they could kind of do this change because they're leaving a lot of money on the table um, in terms of the ads that they could easily run on top of what's already going on there. Um, then moving on quickly, went to quickly feature a couple of club nights that I'm interested in checking out this weekend. And obviously things I would also recommend for those of you out there who happen to live in London and are eager to find places to go to and check out during the weekend. So first event that I went to highlight has been an event that I was lucky enough to go to one of their first events that they did in Fold called Night Service. And I was quite spoiled, I'm not going to lie. When I went to my first Night Service event, I think the first one I went to was featuring D-Dan and another DJ who I forgot the name of. And it was absolutely crazy. 
one of the best events I've been to in a long time. I've been meaning to see D Dan for ages, seeing him in that space, intimate room, um, loads of collab kids in there. The sound system's amazing and just going flipping crazy for it really worked out well. And they were kind of, you know, no strangers to kind of putting on really good lineups. And I think this one coming up on Friday the 19th is no exceptions. So it's going to be a fold night service and it features Stranger, Ville, Amaral, Bally Ibs and Paige who are two of the people behind it. They're actually a couple which is pretty cool and quite cute. So if you're looking for very fast, very aggressive, very hard, um, very kind of sweat your face off and go crazy type of techno to listen to on a Friday night, then I definitely do advise you to check out Night Service taking place at Fold on Friday the 19th of May. So if you're in London, you want to check that out, please do make sure tickets available on RA. Second event I want to feature is Technomate, which is taking place at Unit 58 down there. I'm not down there, up there, sorry, in North London. Not too kind of far from me, but still a bit of a mish. Um, but this essentially is another event that I've been meaning to go to for a long time. So I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit caught in two minds because I could jump on my little bicycle and scoot down to both locations, spend a couple of hours in one and then go a couple of hours in the other one and go crazy. But I've got to probably decide one or the other. That's the only unnecessarily bad thing about London. We have some really good clubs, but they kind of sparsely spread out. There's no real easy way to kind of get between them apart from jumping into an Uber. So it makes it difficult to go on a real club, club crawl as you would do in places like Berlin, for instance. I'm assuming places like Amsterdam are probably the similar as well because they're pretty much for a smaller city. But I feel like places like Berlin is a good example because, you know, the areas where clubs are, there's a lot of other clubs around there or there's a lot of other things that you would do in those areas which doesn't involve maybe going to club, maybe going for a drink, maybe going to eat. So it kind of makes it easy to kind of bounce around from club to club. So you can essentially get, you know, four to five clubs under your belt in one evening. Or as opposed to London, I feel like you have to make a decision on one or two, especially because we have some very draconian laws around opening times, around last entries. So even if you do want to go somewhere, um, you know, you may not be able to because they don't allow you in after 3am or something so it makes it a bit hard but regardless unit 58 is another really cool venue that we have here in london it's kind of a bit of a multi-use space in general um but they do host club nights in there um and for the most part they attract a really cool crowd just because of the location i feel like because the location of unit 58 is sort of like in this um warehousey type of space where a lot of cool hipster kids kind of live and a lot of those guys and girls don't exactly like to come down to east london or to south or to west so they want to party in and around the area and if you put on a cool event um, with those people living around there they're going to come and check it out so it kind of does create a bit of a unique experience that's kind of very specific for the area because a lot of the guys and girls there don't really travel much so if you want to look for a place that's a little bit site specific and locale specific then i think this is another good one and this technomate is taking place on the same day technomate number 10 unit 58 friday 19th of may it's going to be featuring Dina, Mike Gander, Nanzen Yang, and Tekra. 
so if you want to check it out i really do recommend you check it out it's definitely going to be a good time there you see a cool flyer some cool piece of artwork you got some promotion bits and pieces there featuring a couple of people playing of course the headline act being dina who's part of Malajunta. you can check out over there as well so it's definitely going to be a fun one cannot wait to check it out and again like i said i've got a really jam-packed couple of days for me going on in terms of where i'm going to be um you know raving and shaking my little booty at. but those are two places to go to if you haven't got any recommendations check those out i'll be putting the links to the events down below in the description as well soon then i also was checking out luca dia luca dia has been one of my favorite go-to club videographers documentarians on the scene um definitely somebody that i kind of seeked out when i was first getting involved in stuff because my initial education or my initial experience when it came to club culture mostly came from reading articles and checking out random videos on youtube and digging through forums and stuff because i was so far away from it i was like living in the depths of east london somewhere my parents home very much in the hood very much not a part of all this shit that you would maybe deem to be quote-unquote white people stuff so i had to kind of dig through all this stuff and find it out and do my educations via the interwebs and luckily so luckily there was so much cool information on the interwebs that i could kind of devour and kind of get through and one of the amazing things i loved back in the day to check out were these video channels where essentially the the person behind it had the opportunity to kind of fly around the world and video and record the sets of some of the most prominent djs of the scene at the time and this was back when you know dance music's prominent sort of like genre was like minimal and a lot of the biggest guys out there were people like we've got here on the screen like luciano and ricardo villalobos these are some of the biggest names out there there were other names also you can mention the seth chocolates the jamie joneses um many many more that i can mention that kind of you know basically kind of made that sound their own the magnas and whatnot and it was really cool to kind of see um this whole entire world that i kind of was not aware of and to kind of have a first-hand experience of it through these like really amazing kind of handy cam videos that these channels are making and one of the prominent ones being luca dia and one of the great things about it is that it kind of gave you an idea on what these parties were like it kind of gave you an idea on what these users were playing but it also i feel like inadvertently served as a good platform to promote and publicize kind of i wouldn't say lesser known but very region specific events some you know stuff like sunways festival in romania the first time i ever kind of saw it and understood what it was all about were the videos i checked out through look at dia's channel and you know many other things so i'm sure they played a vital role in really heightening and kind of broadening the profile of festivals such as the one i'm featuring here which is called um caprice festival out there in switzerland because unless you're kind of really tapped in or you're from there it's really hard to kind of figure out you know what these things are where they are when they're taking place because there's so many things happening all at the same time but it's just cool to also see to also see people like luciano and ricardo Villalobos lobo still going because these are people that I kind of grew up listening to and to see that their sound has now become cool again. They're kind of basically doing the same thing they were doing 10, 20 plus years ago. And at one point it was kind of tired. It was kind of, you know, boring. People were kind of over it. Hence why, you know, I think the sound completely shifted and went the other end. And now you're having people essentially saying 130 BPM is too slow. Everything has to be like 150 BPM and faster. And I feel like the kids reaction is kind of makes sense to kind of rebel against this kind of slow drudgy old man minimal type of sound but it's also cool to see that this kind of come back in vogue and this kind of 
really slow, um, you know, almost hypnotic version of house that you can maybe, you know, credit to InnerVision doing a good job in promoting that sound. And you could credit maybe again to these guys just continually pushing it. You got younger guys like Christian AB doing good stuff in terms of, you know, making that sound relevant again. But there's nothing like seeing the old masters doing what they do best. And one of the other things I kind of want to mention before I play the clip is that it's also good to see an event like this where there's a real range of people in the crowd. It's not just all oldies. I think that's what made me fall in love with going out, club culture and dance music in general. You got a chance to kind of lose yourself in the night. You got a chance to escape all your daily worries and struggles and pains and stuff. And you also got a chance to meet all sorts of different people. It was essentially a way, it was essentially like a version of like going to like college or university where if you didn't go, you got your education on the dance floor. You got to make people of all sort of denominations, all races, colors and creeds, all socioeconomic levels. And you all kind of shared this one uniting thing that you were there for the vibes, there for a good time, there for the music, there for the DJ, you did have a dance, whatever it may be. And it's just nice to see this reflected in the audiences that still follow these guys. It's not the same old, you know, spotty young kids um, with the flipping harnesses on and the PVC trousers and the leather belts and stuff. It's the same old boring thing. It's nice to just see a little bit of a range, a little bit more of a, you know, a little bit more variety in the crowd. Don't get me wrong. It's a very cool occasion of it being in Switzerland. That's cool. But I just like the age ranges. It's really different. So let's play a quick clip here featuring Luciano, Back to back of Ricardo Villalobos at the Caprici Festival in Switzerland. Actually, let's fast forward a little bit see a bit of Ricardo because this legitimately might be some of the best of Ricardo I've seen and I recently saw Ricardo play at Fabric and it was very very underwhelming but this might have been one of the best appearances I've seen of Ricardo especially um, you know recorded playing a set in a very very long time he seemed to be in real top form here Fast forward a bit more here, yeah, fast forward a bit more. Oh, fast forward a bit more here, yeah, fast forward there. Let's just go here. Let's see, let's see if I can get there. That, that shot. Yeah, this shot with actually the guys at the back drinking the shots is amazing. Throughout the entire clip, throughout the entire clip, throughout the entire clip of this, you know, place, the one thing that you kind of remind me a little bit of is this, which is really funny. I think as well, these guys were f are responsible, are responsible for creating this kind of like culture of like VIP behind the DJ booth, which is really bizarre because for me, I always kind of viewed clubs and nightlife as a form of escape from your regular nine to five 
doldrums or whatever you're going through and very rarely did i give a fuck about standing next to the dj that was playing out it was mostly about being on the dance floor and dancing and actually enjoying the music and getting to meet all different people on the actual dance floor but over time um for whatever reason becoming getting as close as you could to the dj not in the front but behind the booth became another part of currency another part of the culture another part of the lifestyle could you get a guest list spot um could you then get a spot that allowed you to go behind the booth could you get a spot that allowed you to get in front of the booth to the side of the booth could you get the hug behind the decks all this weird nonsense stupid stuff that doesn't really equate a fun night out kind of got ingrained in it and then it kind of changed the overall vibe of the place because then people that were on the dance floor were looking at these guys behind the booth thinking oh i want to be them and not actually enjoying being on the dance floor dancing and listening to the person playing and whatever maybe and vibe into the tunes it kind of created this whole weird ecosystem and vibe around it and i kind of got reminded of this now because at this event luca d is kind of filming from the back right he's filming uh behind the djs in you know behind the dj booth but you can tell from the amount of people that are crossing in front of the cameras the amount of just uh, jostling around that the entire place behind luca dia the actual videographer is absolutely full of hangers on who are all trying to jostle and you know and get the attention of luciana ricardo villalobos playing so this is maybe the worst thing to happen from the minimal scene was this entire culture of hangers on turning the dj booth or the stage into a weird quasi vip type of space it's really lame i fucking hate it i've never really been somebody that kind of gives a crap about getting guest lists the only time where i've what you know bothered about that type of stuff is when you're going to a really expensive club and you just want to not pay entry because the drink prices are already crazy so you're thinking fuck i'm gonna pay 30 euros to get in it's 10 euros for a drink that's already 50 euros for two drinks and an entry you're already looking at a 100 euro night before you've done anything else so if you can get somebody to give you a free entry to get in somewhere it's great but you don't care about being in the DJ booth. You don't care about going to a groom. You just want to be able to get in for free. But nowadays, people want to get in for free. They want to be able to steal the drinks because that's what some people do as well. The flipping scavy, um, broke, you know, hurting energy. They go behind the booth and they fucking steal the drinks from the DJ's rider. They pour themselves drinks, very heavy pours, take the piss out of that, and then they just stand around on their phone behind the DJ booth looking cool so that they can make people on the dance floor feel inadequate because they're not there. It's really lame. But anyway, let's just continue. Um, let me fast forward a bit here. <laughs> Also a bit of Lucian. Yes, a bit of Ricardo here. Hugging. I put one leg on the ceiling. And one near the part of the door. One more, skip, skip forward again here. But yeah, but look at the amount of people behind the booth. Just look at that. Look at the hordes of individuals here. None of these people need to be there. None of them whatsoever. And this is one of the reasons why I'm, you know, I kind of go on and on about flipping clubbing in places like Berlin, why it's such a good time. 
because essentially that whole door selecting thing and the whole you know making sure that only a certain person or a certain type of clientele is allowed into your flipping space it can be really annoying especially if you get denied i've been denied a few times there it can be really annoying you can take it really personally but what it does is that it creates a room or a vibe or an atmosphere of people where you're all on the same level there's no flipping hierarchy unless you get a guest spot. And again, sometimes guest spot don't even guarantee you entry. But in these type of spaces where you're all paying the same ticket prices, having people behind the booth, swigging on the free beers and the free booze, um, you know, hugging the DJs and just acting self-important or just acting like they're actually part of the fucking performance. It just creates a weird vibe. It's a little bit of an us v them type of performance type thing going on there, which I've never liked. I feel like whenever I have my own space and I have my own club, one of the things that I would be completely strict about would be the fact that there's no hangers on behind the booth. If you want to be, if you hang her on, be to the side of the stage or whatever it may be, but no hangers on behind the booth. It should always be the people actually performing. Let them concentrate, let them have the space to do what they need. You don't need to have all these people behind there. But anyway, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good little set there to check out. If you haven't seen it, please do. Luca Dia, one of my favorite channels out there on YouTube for documenting the scene and keeping all of us, myself included, and these other club rats around the world entertained and informed when it comes to clubbing news and seeing who's about who's playing you gotta love it you gotta love it um next moving on from that we have this interesting development courtesy of printworks they really know how to flip in drag out a closing because it feels like they've been talking about closing for fucking years they finally close then they decide they're not closed and they're staying open. So I bought one of the quote-unquote last tickets or last event, which was a Dixon all-nighter. He then goes and plays there another time anyway. So he did, it wasn't his last time. Fucking annoying. They finally do close. They have a really big Bonanza ending party. They have bicep playing. It's fucking amazing. Sick, super sick visuals. Everyone had a good time. And then they announced right after the fact, oh, we're going to reopen again in 2026, guys. So it's never really closed. It's kind of temporarily closed, but they really are doing a good job of fucking dragging it out. And talking about dragging it out, look at what they've done here. Courtesy of Instagram, they've got a whole entire merch collection line to commemorate them closing. <laughs> for closing temporarily by the way not closing entirely temporarily closing they've got some merch that you can purchase from printworks so this is courtesy of their Insta instagram account it says to celebrate the closing season we're pleased to announce that the limited pieces of our official printworks apparel accessories and previously only available to purchase in venue are now live on our website items include the highly sought after hoodies tees socks um, along with um, our limited edition bomber jacket, bespoke collaboration with Alpha Industries, designed exclusively for print works. The collection is available to pre-order now and you can buy it the link below. So they can't even, you know, it's not even available to buy and get it sent to you now. You have to pre-order it and wait, what, six weeks for it to be shipped to you, even though they knew way ahead of time that they were closing. They couldn't make this stuff ahead of hand. They couldn't invest in it and kind of make the, you know, make it and actually have the stock ready to go. They had to wait for you to give them the money so that they could purchase it and then they could get it sent to you. Absolutely heinous. And then checking some of the prices and the things available online. Yo, it's a little bit steep for what it is. So you got here Printworks Roller Tee with the kind of classic Printworks font that you know and love um, on the front and the rolling pan at the back, £35. You got some Printworks socks here for 15. You got a Printworks hoodie for 65. You got a Printworks football type of scarf, two tone for 25. And then you got a Printworks bomber jacket. 
And the thing that's funny about this bomber tracker, which I feel like is a real big and easy miss they could have fixed up, right? If I'm looking at the bomber jacket, which I would never buy for that price, print worth bomber jacket is fucking insane. But they could have won easily by having the embroidery of print works here on the back, which looks pretty well done. This should have been done in white. If you have this print works logo in white or in a massive print screen in white, it makes it a little bit more appealable, especially for people that it makes it more appealing. So especially people who want big, massive logos on their things. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of the XL recordings, the famous bomber jacket that they give to signed artists when they sign to XL recordings, right? Um, it's a massive, you know, big bomber jacket with massive XL written on the back. And considering what XL means to the culture and to music overall, it becomes a little bit of a incredible thing to kind of have, even if you're signed or even if you're just a fan of the music to kind of let people know what your vibe is, what your taste level is. And I feel like this bomber jacket could have worked so much better if they just switched the front to white but instead it's a tonal black and they're charging you 195 pounds are you insane and then the same thing goes for the um long sleeve that's 40 um they've got another t-shirt here in black again for 35 they've got a tote bag <laughs> for 25 like honestly they are dragging this out and they are fleecing the audience only to reopen again in 2026. So what are they going to do in 2026? Are they going to have Printworks reopening merch again with a date on it? Like absolutely crazy. Lanyard for tenor. Um, they've got a, a Printworks essential cat. I don't know why you're going to buy a, a, a hat with Printworks logo on it. And I think this kind of answers a little bit of my questions. I think I was mentioning before in previous podcasts, why don't clubs like Bergheim have more merch? I guess because Bergheim's got far more of a cooler rep. I'd probably wear those things more. But now I understand why they don't. Because in general, even if I would wear this stuff, it is still inherently uncool to be walking around with like club merch. You know, even if it was Studio 54 merch, it would still be incredibly lame to be walking around with a t-shirt that says Studio 54. Like you look like a real, real loser. Even more so walking around with a bomber jacket that says Printworks on it. What are you? Security? What are you? DJ? What are you? Team? No, I just found the club and I spent £195 on it. Absolutely crazy and heinous stuff. Especially when you consider it's not closed. It's temporarily closed. They're going to reopen again in 2026 in some capacity. So all of this hoopla around it makes absolutely no sense. Um, yeah, what a, what, a, what a weird one. But it makes complete sense in some ways because they've been dragging out this closing. They're not giving it up. They don't just want to close and just move on. It's all become a complete rollout and we won't hear the end of it. So if you want it, check it out. It's available at shop.printworkslondon.co.uk if you need to check it out. If you don't, then I do apologise for absolutely boring you senseless with that horrendous news. <laughs> Moving on from that one, I want to quickly talk about this. This is regarding Resident Advisor's weird collaboration and sort of link up with Pickle Factory. Um, if you guys don't know, Pickle Factory is a club here in London that went through some crazy things recently where they lost their license because of alleged shooting, which is wild because in London or in the UK, we don't have any guns. You're not allowed to have guns. So the fact that somebody snuck a gun into a nightclub and let it off is a big problem, especially in that part of East London. But if you had been to pick a factory if you had been to oval space because it's all in the same sort of like you know building unit you would know that the security guards at this venue were absolutely shaky 
really shaky really aggressive really kind of over the top and it kind of was very obvious to me having gone there a few times that a few people that were local to the area were able to kind of get in with certain things by slipping people certain bits of money i may or may not have seen this and i may not have no direct account but that is what i'm kind of speaking about in vague terms so when this whole incidence of this shooting thing happened it wasn't really a big surprise to me a shooting happens at oval space at pickup factory makes complete sense and them losing their license off the back of it also made sense because in general the staff there were treated like shit the, the security guards were pieces of shit and the vibe in there was that like, fucking horrible so if anything especially for me being a club guy it was one of the rare places where i was like you know what good riddance it was a bit of a shit place anyway i didn't really wasn't really that bothered when it had to close or lost its license but then all of a sudden you're seeing ra Resident Advisor, one of the leading dance music publications, linking up with Pickle Factory and doing these Pickle Thursdays type of things, essentially putting their arm around them and co-signing the venue. And I'm thinking to myself, what led to this? Why is this a situation? Why are they kind of co-signing a venue that never took their security seriously, never took the safety of the people attending the club seriously and had an occasion where somebody legitimately could have got shot inside of a club and lost their license rightfully, rightfully so because security were allegedly supposedly taking payments under the table wild resident advisor want to put their name alongside such a horrendous place why would you want to kind of get in bed with them in that regard it doesn't really make any sense to me i'm really kind of puzzled by it so if you are involved in the industry a little bit more than i am and you know what's going on you can provide some information as to what the deal is i'd love to know but considering pickle factory lost this license and overspecial license for a very i felt like justifiable reasons to see ra linking up with them it just doesn't really make Make any sense to me so anybody knows information please provide it i would love to know i would really really love to know talking about providing more information and about shaky crazy nonsense things that don't make any sense this headline cursor page six shaken megan markle and prince harry involved in near fatal paparazzi chase in nyc now i understand why everybody hates megan markle now I get why Piers Morgan has a fucking non-stop rage boner for this woman. Now I know why people call Prince Harry a crybaby. What is wrong with these people? I don't follow the royal family in any way, shape or form. Don't really care for them in any way, shape or form, either for the good, even for the worst. But one thing that I remember happening during the whole fallout with them and the royal family was this phrase of like, we want to be left alone. This, you know, denouncing the throne or whatever royal, you know, name and shit they had against them, all of this stuff and sort of moving away to the US and whatever it may be, was essentially um, them signaling that, hey, we don't want to be a part of the royal family. We want to live our somewhat quote unquote normal, private, quiet life away from the limelights. If that's the case, why are they so hell bent on always being in the headlines? on always being the victim, on always quote-unquote telling their story. What is this story? So they're involved in a near-fatal car crash, and this becomes a big story. It was a near-fatal car crash. Nothing actually happened. So far, at the moment of recording, no, ex or no actual footage of whatever car chase happened. But instead, they put this news out because they know that it evokes some very um some very sort of like worrying images and worrying memories of what happened to princess diana so people will initially start making some direct correlations but none of that actually happened or occurred so they don't want to be in front of the cameras 
but they don't mind also courting controversy, courting the attention and just generally being absolute drama queens. Now, maybe something seriously did happen, but so far, what I've seen, it just looks like them actually performing and keeping it themselves out there in public again. It's really strange. And again, this is coming from somebody who hasn't paid too much attention to the details. I've not read Prince Harry's book. Um, I don't know what's actually going on now, day to day, blow, blow for blow. But from what I remember hearing about these guys, they wanted to be left alone. They went away from the limelights. They wanted less press intrusion, less paps around them. If that's the case, why are you even talking about this? If that's the case, why are you inventing this fiction? And if that's the case, why, why, why? Let's read the article courtesy of the New York Post. It says, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are extremely upset and shaken. Of course, everyone's shaken, everyone's upset, everyone's angry. God almighty. After being involved in a near catastrophic two-hour paparazzi chase in New York City on Tuesday night. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex, who were travelling with Markle's mum, Doria Ragland, were pursued by photographers after leaving the Ziegfeld Theatre, where the former actress was honoured by the Gloria Steinman at the Woman Visions Awards in Manhattan. I would like to ask a question. Why is Meghan Markle getting awards? For giving African kids water? For dancing with disabled children? Why is she be giving awards? Can somebody answer that? Why does she get awards for just being alive, for having really nice hair, for having a really pretty face, for wearing high heels? Why is she getting an award? Who knows? It continues. The trio left the event in an SUV around 10 p.m. and were immediately followed around uh, by around 12 paparazzis, we're told. They eventually decided to ditch their original vehicle and jump into a yellow cab in the hopes of evading photos or source claims. So these guys are wondering why a group of thirsty, clout-hungry paparazzis were after them. I can tell you why. Because Prince Harry was in a yellow fucking cab. Of course they were chasing them all across the city. Wouldn't you? Taking a picture of Prince Harry in a fucking yellow cab with a, with a bag of Subway on his lap, holding onto his missus as they're travelling through the city... It's a funny picture. Of course that made sense. But if they would have jumped into the back of a Range Rover Sport or an SUV or an Escalade, no one would have cared. They would have just rent off, you know, tinted windows. It would have been fine. They would have gone back way back home under their, you know, behind their big massive gate. But who decided to jump in the yellow cab? Again, this is this is giving it's giving a little bit intentional. It's giving on purpose. Why do they jump into a yellow cab? Why don't they have a driver driving them in one of those big black SUVs that celebrities are always in? Are they trying to pretend like they're broke? Because we know they're not broke. We know they're not living in a in a flipping one-bed apartment. Hmm. It continues. The insider alleges that one cameraman hit the car while another man almost ran over an NYPD officer during the near-fatal chase. And this is America. This is New York. It doesn't matter if it's whatever. New York is obviously, there's a lot of traffic there and sometimes people getting around in the subway is better than getting around in the taxis, I understand. But still... There are people that drive SUVs and Escalades and whatever they're called in New York City. There's no excuse of not having one of those big, black, intimidating SUV type machines there waiting for you as you leave your gala, slip back in the back of it, chill out, eat your subway in peace and go home. There's a picture of them looking lovely. Actually, Megan looks delightful in this dress, to be honest. I'm not going to lie. She definitely knows how to wear the fuck out of her dress. Prince Harry looks like... He's just nipped out on his lunch break in the office. But hey, we continue. <laughs> um, that's them at the event. 
We're told the trio was pursued by 12 paparazzi after the Women's Choice Awards. Um, it started off with 12 paparazzi. Okay, that's her accepting the award there. The award for having really nice hair and a pretty face, I guess. I don't know why she gets awards. Like, I would be embarrassed to be accepting these awards on like the daily or weekly or monthly basis. Like, why am I getting an award? I know she looks amazing. She takes a great picture. She's very photogenic, but surely you don't get awards for just being photogenic every single day. You have to at least do something, a little bit of something. She just turns up and just gets an award. Hey, you're really hot. Here's an award. <laughs> it's like, what? And it continues. It started off with 12 paparazzis, then ended with four chasing Megan, Harry, and Doria. The insider tells us. The security tried their best to lose photographers. Once in a taxi, Harry used his cell phone to record the ensuing melee. So Harry, instead of having his arm around his very attractive wife and and his arm around his very stoutly and stern-looking mother-in-law, instead of protecting them with his body, he was there recording the whole exchange like a little Karen shaking. <laughs> Put your phone down, brother, and, I don't know, step out of the car and knock out some paparazzi people. Come on, knock out some paps. Make it, give them some real headlines. That's what you should be doing. Waving the middle finger outside of the car, fucking Noel Gallagher style spitting at them or something like recording it with your phone hold on babes let me get out of my phone so i can make sure everybody sees what's happening they can't be doing this so let me let me just record this so i can see what's happening sorry babe one second let me just record this this is completely out of order this is completely unjustifiable put your phone down brother and start launching those elbows start hitting them with some headbutts weren't you in the fucking army you must have a couple of punches in you, a couple of a couple of headlocks. Something. Come on, man. Anyway, it says we're told security was also recording to gather evidence. So security is recording. He's recording. Who else is recording? This is like a Karen off, isn't it? Fucking hell. Security should be securing the space. They're not. Harry should be protecting his wife and, you know, fighting paparazzi with his bare fist. He's not. Who's wearing the trousers in this fucking relationship? Who? Paparazzi's were confronted by uniformed police officers, but ignored warnings, continued chasing the trio. That's them again. A rep from the Sussex claimed the page six on Wednesday. Last night, the Duke and the Duchess of Sussex and Miss Rangland were involved in a near catastrophic um, car chase at the hands of the ring of the highly aggressive paparazzi. This relentless pursuit, lasting over two hours, resulted in multiple near collisions involving other drivers on the road and pedestrians and two nypd officers so essentially they're snitching on the immigrant driver that was driving around new york city in that yellow cab that that god bless that driver whoever they were they basically snitched on them the driver nearly killed us right hassan nearly killed us jose nearly had us in a near fatal accident abdullah nearly ended our lives like, come on, man. Don't leave your life at the, in the hands of some random yellow cab driver if you're a fucking, you know, if you're part of the royal family by extension or by marriage. Maybe, you know, get an SUV. Maybe book an UberX. I don't know. Come on. While being in a public figure comes with a level of interest from the public, it should never come at the cost of anyone's safety. <sighs> Our source calls the incident absolutely shocking, says Raglan, who is 66 years old was particularly terrified by the ordeal. Everyone is still upset, to say the least. It was horrific. We hear the suits alarm and her mother and husband were still in NYC following the Harry events. All right. But yeah, it looks like they're trying to trigger people clearly because of what happened to 
the legendary and magnificent Princess Diana, RIP to the great one. They're trying to basically cause that emotion from people and get them flipping worried that way. But essentially, nothing happened. They got harassed like everyone else does. Celebrities getting into their car by hungry, thirsty paparazzi. And they turned that into a whole entire victimhood complex thing. These guys are the worst, man. I'm not going to lie. They're the absolute worst. Um, I, I think it's all for attention. I think it's all absolute bullshit. And yeah, too much. Too much of this, man. Can't do this anymore. Enough. Leave us alone. Just leave us alone. Could you please? Is that possible? No? All right. I get it then. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> moving on from that one moving on so have you guys heard about the incidents or the drama happening around horses legendary well-established well-known very popular restaurant out there in la i think they may have a michelin star i'm not convinced but usually if you're white you usually have a michelin star if you don't like salt and pepper and shit and you like eating you know fucking shaved carrot sticks and whatnot you're probably going to get a michelin star so i'd imagine horses probably has one the story around them is absolutely nuts. It's breaking all over social and the actual deals of it are quite harrowing. So this is courtesy of Los Angeles Time. It says this headline, a top LA chef at horses accused by a wife of killing cats. Assault, he denies claims. Now, that's just, just an overview. But the actual details of the story are way more harrowing. This is courtesy of somebody here on Twitter called Nike PS5. And they do this following. These are screenshots taken people, I guess, on the inside, giving information as to what's happening behind the scenes with this restaurant called Horses. So the screenshots looks as follows. So the Liz chef, the, sorry, the Liz, so Liz the chef was with this dude, Will, that was co-chef at Horses when it opened till the top of last year. Apparently, they had a kind of open door policy about adopting stray cats at home already suspect right any family that just adopts stray cats like that especially when they're young is really strange and mysteriously like a half a dozen of them had died over the span of a year or so so imagine you're in, you're accepting all these stray cats into your home half a dozen are dying mysterious circumstances it's a bit fishy bro apparently liz one of the people involved in horses la was already feeling increasingly freaked out and thinking something was up with her husband at the time her partner and she comes home a few months ago and will is beating his meat while strangling a kitten did you hear that one of the people involved in horses one of the chefs over there one of the head honchos one of the founders of that place is being accused of killing cats while he beats his meat have you heard of a stranger story in your entire life a popular, well-established, very trendy, very hipster-friendly restaurant. All the coastal elites love. They have a chef there killing cats and beating his meat. Crazy. Next <laughs> screenshot here. Um, and obviously people are talking about it online, all these media leaks. But let's go back to the actual article itself, what it says. Because um, I was expecting it to close, but clearly they're not closing because, you know, white people have no shame. So it says here, a chef of popular Los Angeles restaurant horses accused her husband and business partner of killing the family's cats in a divorce filing in which was also asked for a domestic violence restraining order. So most likely, if this couple wasn't getting divorced, we would have never found out that the husband was strangling cats while he's jacking off. Imagine that. Elizabeth Johnson filed a request in November to keep Will um, 
Ajahajani um, away from her out of fear that he might hurt her or someone else. She alleged he assaulted her on numerous occasions. Are we surprised that the guy that kills cats and jacks off in the middle of the living room is also doing that? No, we're not. Um, Will strongly denied the claims in his own court filings, calling them false allegations. I would too. After the Times published allegations, um, Horses issued a statement on Instagram. Let's see the statement on Instagram. And again, so disappointed in this. Comments turned off. One of the most annoying things I hate about drama when it happens is when the public statement goes out and they turn off the comments on the post because this is usually where you get all the information, all the juicy inside info and scoop from people actually on the ground level come through the comments. So it's really annoying that they turn off the comments. But anyway, the statement from horses in the face of all these accusations, all this craziness going on there, right? Will Ajani has been on leave of absence from horses as of November 2022. And since then, he's not been involved in the day-to-day -day operations of the restaurant. Under the guidance of Chef Liz, our incredible front and back of house teams are working continuously to make horses what she had always intended it to be. A place of joy and celebration. Horses has no further comment outside of this statement. Those cats didn't feel any joy or celebration. They felt a real molecule, a real flipping small amount of fucking joy when they stepped into those people's houses from the flipping scourge of being out in those LA streets and having dis you know unhoused people kicking them down the road and shit. They get some safety. They come into some flipping sanctuary. They get offered some water. They get offered some treats. They get petted, right? They get scratched and stuff. They get hugged, they get picked up, they get looked after, they get nursed. And then as soon as mummy leaves, daddy goes to town. He whacks on naughty America. <laughs> and then he starts strangling one of them as he's jacking off his meat, watching videos of God knows who. And then they're talking about celebration, joy. Turn on your comments and stop being a fucking pussy, man. Let's see what's going on, really. But this definitely is clear clarification that this restaurant has no intention of closing. They legitimately think, and you, know, you have to be a real sicko if you live in LA, unless this place cooks the meanest steak, you have to be a real sicko to go back to this restaurant knowing what you know, to choose to go back here and say, no, actually, this place is a place of like joy and celebration. I don't care that the owners strangle cats while he's flipping, exploding, man meat is going all over his hand or man juice, whatever it may be. You're all right with that. If you're okay going to eat there, you are a pure sicko, to be honest. I know it didn't happen on the premises. Maybe. Who knows? Right? Are they going to find loads of bodies of fucking dead cats all under the fucking restaurant to dig it up one day? Who knows? May they may not be some dead cats in the fucking ceiling somewhere. Who knows? One thing's for certain, though, if that was my favorite restaurant, it's not anymore. I'm just not going. But I find it hilarious. The restaurant isn't missing the beat. They're like, we're still open for business, guys. Don't worry about it. We're still open for business. <laughs> they probably got a banner outside on the awing, um, you know, with fucking still open for business. Like, you know, when a restaurant has like scaffolding or building work is happening in front. They're like, nope, don't worry, mate. Still open for business. Regular service has been resumed. Do not worry. Your chicken Caesar salad, your cat salads are still available. Do not worry. Do not worry. Absolutely crazy, mate. Going back to the article. Um, in the court filings, Johnson said, Will and I had cats that mysteriously ended up dying, including one in 2007. And when I took out a shelter, um, when she became seriously wounded overnight, that shelter told me that she'd been seriously abused, but Will denied it. I believed him. 
And then last month, we were given another kitten. <laughs> she alleged then that Afghani joked about feeding the kitten to coyotes. Holy shit. And said that he didn't like the cat, according to the filing. Eventually, she witnessed him hurting the cat, she wrote in the filing. I caught Will violently shaking the cat late at night, and he died the next day. Will put the dead cat in the trash can and insisted on keeping the corpse in the house. Yo, Will's a sicko. This is up there like, you know when they say um, people who go on to be serial killers or abuse women and shit, they have like little things that they do, little tells, where maybe when they were younger, they go to like, you know, female boutiques and shit, women boutiques, and they go and like, they'll steal underwear or they'll cut, um, you know, the clothing of people or women in front of them randomly with a little razor blade and shit and, you know, have those things of mementos back home or they'd kill pets and shit and then kind of ramp up to killing actual living, breathing humans. This is kind of the same sort of thing. You violently kill a cat as you're jacking off to wherever you're jacking off to some episode of bang bros and then you keep the corpse in your house because what as a trophy to spite your wife that you want a divorce what's going on here johnson alleged that um will mental and psychological abuse kept her from realizing sooner he was doing to the animals uh, of course it's always the mental health abuse thing isn't it right it's not just you not paying attention it's not just you living in a funky white person people's house because only white person can live in a house where you don't change the cat litter often and you also have the corpse of a dead cat in the bin stinking up the entire place and it's fine yeah let's blame it on mental health anyway will's mother amanda weathersby He's got his own mother testifying for him, sending a declaration that the couple had a serious series of kittens that died when they lived in New York City. Liz talked about them and how one and how one after another died. She and Will believed that this was due to the rat poison used in the buildings there. Johnson allegedly um, physical abuse of uh, Johnson alleged physical abuse at the hands of Will. In 2019, Will dragged her by the legs across the floor where she screamed and attempted to resist according to the filing. So now mental health, now, you know, a couple of, you know, scuffles, a couple of some, a couple of bits of mutual combat in the house. And now, you know, you're kind of here crying and snitching. But when the cats were dying, you didn't care. Uh, Will responded to the claims on Wednesday. He said, Johnson was trying to take my business away from me through a divorce. <laughs> They're more worried about keeping the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> then he is worried about people finding out that he's a fucking cat murderer and quite possibly could be on the cusp of killing actual human beings like a legit monster a legit monster but he's more worried about keeping the restaurant brother even if you kept the restaurant no one's gonna come to your restaurant knowing that you murder cats especially in this circumstance it continues i love cats mice <laughs> all my friends are cats <laughs> all my friends are black people <laughs> my my favorite animals are cat <laughs> this guy's a fucking nutcase i love cats mice um any other living under any other living animal under god's allah of course slash allah or whoever you believe in <laughs> i don't offend anybody brother worry about the crimes that you've been accused of don't worry about the semantics of the words that you're using or and or any other animals under gods or allahs or whatever religion calls him or her fuck off he's gonna try to use pronouns for the cats now <laughs> he, he, uh, damn day. 
This is the most coastal elite press release and excuse I've ever seen in my entire life. This guy's fighting for his life, right? The future of his life, actually. His legacy in a divorce filing. The news has gone freaking viral. Everyone's finding out what's happening behind the scenes, behind closed doors. And you're worried about, you know, you're worried about not misgendering the cats. <laughs> you're worried about not offending people's religious beliefs in your statement. And you're worried about using the right pronouns for a fucking cat. Are you alive? Are you for real? It's up there, actually. It's quite similar to people that have dogs. And you don't know if it's a boy or a girl. And you're like, oh, isn't she cute? It's like, it's actually a he. You're like, mm, I'm, not, I'm not fucking staring at your dog's ass. You know what I mean? Sorry, my bad. I'm just commenting on the fucking dog that I see in front of me. It looks cute. Let, just let me say that and move on. Um, it's actually a she. Fucking idiots, man. Nothing worse than really, really up their own ass dog people, man. They really get on my nerves. Anyway, we continue. Um, uh, <laughs> I love cats, mice, and every other living animal under God's Allah or whatever, or whatever each religion calls him or her. Um, have loved all animals since I was a child. <laughs> i love i love i have problems killing lobster so what he cries every day he kind of has to kill a lobster for a fucking lobster roll or some shit are you for real usually try to do it in the most humane way possible by what fucking <laughs> doing the cross before he crushes it a friend of Africa, of wales painted a different picture of the johnson's Samuel Burkett filed a declaration in a case saying that he was best friends with Will and lived with the couple for a brief period of time. Oh, this guy sounds like he might be fucking the wife, to be fair. Imagine one of your best friends who lived with you now coming out trying to bury you in a divorce filing. Are you fucking my wife, mate? Um, anyway, it continues. Samuel Burkett filed a declaration in a case saying that he was friends with Will and lived with the couple for a brief period while working with them in Tennessee at a restaurant called Catbird Seat. He would wake up to Johnson. <laughs> Imagine living with, living with a couple must be weird anyway, right? Because you have to fucking hear them arguing, hear them smashing, hear them making plans for the week. It's just awkward, right? You're always the third wheel. But imagine being wo not woken up by them actually having sex or anything. You've been woken up by one of the one of the people in the couple strangling a cat in the bathroom or something through muffled screams. Jesus Christos. He would wake up Johnson berigently screaming. And at work, he saw her kick Will and stomp his feet and hit him, according to the declaration. Okay, what? Hold on. So is this guy defending Will? So maybe he wants to go out with Will then. Who knows? I never saw Will react to her abuse. He just always brushed it off. Okay, so Simon or Samuel might want to be with Will then. My bad. Maybe he wants to get off with Will. Fair play. In 2022, the couple announced a new restaurant in New York City called Froggies. Slate opened in the West Village. <laughs> Froggies. <laughs> on Wednesday, legal representation of Will confirmed the restaurant's opening had been put on pause amid the divorce proceedings. Well, duh. Horses opened in Hollywood in October 2021 to fanfare garnering national praise for the stylish clientele and its innovative, innovative approach sorry, to stalwart modern American classics. Um, it featured a co-chef kitchen system that purported equal say each night among at least four chefs who were in charge of the menu. On Eater LA, Horses remained one of the site's heat map of the hottest new restaurants for months. The Los Angeles Times called it a new modern LA institution and the city's most exhilarating new dining experience in the last year. 
In August, the restaurant found itself in the centre of another controversy. When the opening of horses, the restaurant's owner had enlisted former Spotted Pig restauranter Kevin Friedman of New York to help acquire the lease. According to a report in 2017, Friedman was accused by employees of Spotted Pig of sexual harassment, retaliation in one of the re earliest bombshell cases of alleged abuse within the restaurant industry. So they aligned themselves with abusers. One of the guys behind their scenes is killing cats. Are we surprised? I'm not surprised in the slightest. Um, what else is to end it? Um, Will says he's a victim of his own marriage. He said that Johnson repeatedly threatened to kill him and burned him at least twice with metal spatulas <laughs> and a spoon she placed in the fryer according to the court filings. That's a weird way to fucking fight your spouse, isn't it? You fry a spoon in some olive oil and then you just... Ugh piece of shit um will also said the filings that johnson was abused uh johnson is the one who abused their animals she falsely accuses me of these things that she has done or that she threatened to do to me and my pets my pets are like my children and i love them dearly i am fearful johnson since i'm the victim of her long-term abuse and has occurred throughout our relationship so it's a proper he said she said type of affair but so far according to these screenshots which i believe more because i believe more the testimony of somebody in a group chat that i believe some nonsense filing of a divorce especially when they rub out all the names but this person this person says liz was the chef was with the dude will that was a co-chef and one day one day she came back home and she saw will beating his meat while strangling a kitten i believe this person in the group text i don't believe will but let's see what happens and if you are going to that restaurant and eating there you're a pure sicko let's see what people are saying in the comments of the other posts because that is wild oh they close the comments on all the posts clever because usually people go to previous posts and leave comments so they close all the comments on every post because they don't want any more passer so if you're going there and eating at this restaurant you're a sicko because the owners are out here strangling and maybe fucking cats we have no idea because i would go that far i'd say if they're killing them they're probably fucking them but hey maybe i'm going out of the way and being too crazy with it who knows who fucking knows but jesus christos mate imagine that imagine going to a place like that where they're killing and eating and fucking all the cats are in there i would definitely run i would definitely definitely run anyways this has been the Excellence English Show episode number 674. Thank you so much for tuning in. If it hasn't been your first time tuning in and you want to know how you can contribute, smash the like button. That's all you have to do. Share the podcast if you can. If you listen to an audio platform, that would be also greatly, greatly appreciated. If you're also listening to an audio platform of the show, you'll be able to hear my tune of the day playing right underneath me as i'm talking and heading out and piecing out and stuff you'll be able to hear that if you're watching this podcast via the audio platform of the show no if you're watching if you're over the video side of the show please hang out next half an hour i'll be back with the random show if you want to check that out i'll be back in half an hour for the random show but if you're watching or listening to this via the audio platform of the show it's ending now i appreciate every single one of you and i'll see you guys again very soon take care be safe Dry, let the word drip dry. Ah. Blood on your shirt, let it drip dry. He said they shot him six times. He said you should have shot him seven, then he could have died holy. Die holy with your chain on. 
in your road They said they shot him six times I said you should've shot him seven and he could've I'm not holy corny shins. I got the bins pumped through sunset sink and swim PN core, then caught again A half a mill upon my arm again Piece of chef lens, I got the square shins Marvelous, they say Jesus was a carpenter I'm a shooter though, bitches wanna know my net worth You can Google those, they stand low by a few digits I got stupid though If we get pulled, put this in your pussy on my crack back, spreading like peaches I'm on the dance floor, tents got creases Yo's not looking less with y'all sneakers I'm on the yard in Adidas, they don't even sell Adidas Back in 04, Carrie was struck like she a diva See the last week, she smoked the teeth out Her and Gia, Gia came through Try to set a title to a Kia She wanted 900, maybe by the cleaners Drip dry, let the work drip dry Blood on your shirt, let it drip dry they said they shot him six times I said you should've shot him seven Then he could've died holy Die holy With your chain on And your rolly They said they shot him six times I said you should've shot him seven Then he could've died holy Of Marilyn Monroe, arguably one of the most iconic pictures of the 20th century. Where should we start this? 100 billion. At 100 million. At 110 million. 110 million. 120. At 120 million, the gentleman's bid here.